This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. You are listening to Art Not Science, presented by the Physics Room Contemporary Art Space, a monthly podcast of artist talks, panel discussions, and other events. Tēnā tātou katoa. Nau mai hoki mai ki tēnei kaupapa kōrero o The Physics Room. Nau mai, whakarongo mai, whakatau mai. As we're back in Level 4, I hope this finds you all safe and well at home. My name is Abby Kinane, and I'm the director of The Physics Room, a contemporary art space dedicated to developing and promoting contemporary art and critical discourse in Aotearoa. Based in central Ototahi since 1996, we assist artists with resources and opportunities to enable creative and professional development and work to support the acknowledgement and understanding of contemporary art among New Zealanders. Our goal is to actively seek links between the arts and other areas of cultural production and to involve art as a contributing voice in wider intellectual, social and political debate. In this episode of Art Not Science, I talk with artist Emily Parr about her exhibition Surfacing, a solo exhibition of large-scale 35mm film photographs and wall drawings. Emily Parr is an artist living in Tamaki Makoto and her practice explores relationships between people, political frameworks, whenua, and moana. Her recent master's research on settler-indigenous relationships of te moana nuiākiwa travels oceans and centuries, seeking stories in archives and waters on hiding her to three of her ancestral homelands, Tauranga Moana, Samoa, and Tonga. While Emily works primarily in moving image, she has been making film photographs over the past seven years. These photographs are part of her research towards a PhD at AUT, a process which, in these early stages, is guided by narratives of whale migration. Emily holds a Bachelor of Fine Arts with Honours from Elam School of Fine Arts and a Master of Visual Arts from Auckland University of Technology. She was also the recipient of the 2019 Iris Fisher Scholarship and 2016 Tamaki Estuary Art Award. Now, let's hear from Emily to learn more about surfacing. Kia ora mai tato. Oh my hoki maiki, the physics room. Um, my name's Abby Kinane. Yeah, I just want to welcome you all to this pre-opening talk with Emily Parr. I'm so stoked to have you today. Emily's the artist who's created this exhibition, Surfacing. Um, and we just wanted to have an opportunity before the celebration to just draw out some of the ideas in the show. Emily's from the North Island, but you'll hear a bit more about that but living in Tamaki, so we've just got here for this week and then going home tomorrow. So I really wanted to um, be able to sit and talk through some of the some of the things we've been having some conversations about over the last few months developing the show. So thank you so much for coming along on a Friday night. Yeah, let us begin. I'll just introduce myself in a long way that requires a note. <laughs> Ko matatua te waka, uh, ko te awanui te moana, ko maua o te maunga, ko nai te rangi te iwi, ko nai tu kairangi te hapu, ko hunga hunga tōroa te marae. 
Te moana nui a kiwa connects Tauranga Moana to my ancestral villages of Lotofanga in the Samoan Islands and Kolomotua in the Kingdom of Tonga. Before they travelled to the South Pacific Islands on whaling and trading ships, my settler ancestors were sustained by the Vistula and Oda river basins of Poland that feed into the Baltic Sea, the Alba River of Germany which flows into the North Sea, the North Atlantic Ocean from which the Azorean volcanoes emerge. Before departing their shores on convict, military and settler ships, my Pākehā ancestors were sustained by waters that collect in the River Boyne of Ireland, the rivers Trent and Thames of England, the River Aether that rises in the Ruabon Moors and weaves north through England and Wales, and the River Perry, which meets the Severn, flowing south instead. The Nidri Burn of the Scottish Lowlands and in the Highlands, the River Thurso, and locks and firths of Argyll in the Trossachs. I whanakea hou i tāmaki makaurau, ko Emily Pā tōku ingoa. Kia ora, Emily. <laughs> e mihi ana ki o, o tūpuna hoki. Yeah, it's good to have them all acknowledged in the room with us too today. I wondered if you wanted to start with maybe something quite obvious, with the connection to water. I think all the time that I've known you, we've had like many conversations about different bodies of water, mainly the moana, but yeah, I was really conscious of all the awa that you're referencing here as well, so... I don't know if you know where that sort of began, but if you just want to speak a bit about that connection to the way. I think it began, well, I've my whole life loved the ocean and loved being in the ocean and felt really at home there. And then I moved to Toronto on Turtle Island for a year and a half. And it's so far from the ocean, um, right by the lake, which is beautiful, but I don't understand lakes and rivers in the way that I understand the ocean. And so my partner and I, before we moved home to Aotearoa, we caught a train for several days um, right out to Nova Scotia to reach the ocean. And that was where I saw or heard the first whales in my life. They were too far away to see, but we could hear um, the kind of um, every so often, which was, it was very special. And I moved home to study, but also to really move home and be grounded here in Aotearoa because I, I grew up as Pākehā and my family histories were too complex, I think, when I was younger for me to begin to unravel. And so it was at that point when I came home and I started a Master's of, of Visual Arts and had to think about what kind of researcher I wanted to be and to do the kind of research I wanted, I had to really know who I was. And so that's when I began um, a hiringa of reconnection with Te Moana Nui Akiwa, also called the Pacific Ocean. And through that was able to, I was really lucky to have a scholarship that supported me to regularly return to Tauranga Moana, where I whakapapa to, and also Tonga and Samoa, to learn about these amazing lineages and ancient oceanic pathways that my ancestors have been traveling across for thousands of years, but also that brought um, all of my ancestors to Aotearoa. Mm. So you're sort of talking about, talking about the complexity of all of this, and I think it's something we all share is this like sense of all the people who've been before us and it being, I don't know, sometimes quite a tangled sort of line of descent, particularly in relation to Pākehā histories and colonial histories and the idea of unravelling it can seem really confronting. 
I suppose what I love about an image like this is that it is very complex, as I learned the last few days when you've been drawing that by hand. But also it's, it's very simple in another way too. There's some like really simple central figures. And I wondered if maybe you can just elaborate a bit on who and where the central figures are from and also maybe the decisions that you made about bringing them into the space. So when I started my master's, I wanted to write a pepeha, which may seem like a simple task, but it was not a simple task. So I made a work called Whakapaparanga that is a moving image work where I started to draw pictures that I felt represented or connected to my ancestry and then went on this year-long whakapapa journey and then made the same work again with a whole new set of knowledge. And this was the final the final work, again, a moving image work. And so in here is a tōroa to acknowledge my Naitirangi line. The paikia, the humpback whale, for my Tongan line, because the humpback whales migrate from Antarctica up both coasts of Aotearoa through Kaikoura and then head to the warmer waters of the Pacific. So Vavau, where my great-great-grandparents were born, is a particular place as well where they go to mate and to have their babies. More on that later. But um, <laughs> then the kind of fuzzy flowers over here, they're the oli flower to acknowledge my Samoan line. My great-great-grandmother, who was born in Samoa, moved to Tamaki with her husband in 1890. So it was very early on in terms of a Pacific migration to Tamaki. And they, they had a house in downtown Auckland called Oliula, named for a, a necklace of a rare flower called the Oli. And then, <laughs> connecting them all, are different waterways, the ones that I listed when I introduced myself. So the one in the top left is Fayala, an island in Portugal. Uh, I think this one's the Boyne catchment. And various, yeah, various other waterways that all connect each other because I think of waters connecting all across the world in a similar way to how I feel my whakapapa connects me all across the world. You are listening to Art Not Science, presented by the Physics Room Contemporary Art Space. How did you do it? Were you looking at maps? In like yes. Pisa? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I spent a lot of time researching yeah. uh, waterways in particular areas, and some of them are visible on maps and some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. And then there's one in particular that I probably can't even find now because it snakes through the whole thing, but um, I was zooming in really close on Google Maps and traced all these drawings and then stitching them together in Photoshop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So many of these would be places you've never been. No, and might never go. Yeah, yeah. When you were researching, did you find out also like that corresponding knowledge existed in your family? Like if you talked to your mom or you talked to your dad, or were you in a way like giving this information back to your family? Yes, I only have one living grandparent. And so what she has given me in terms of um, stories has felt like a massive amount just from a few conversations and 
Um, I couldn't have those conversations with my other grandparents only because I wasn't interested in our family history early enough. And my parents know bits, but um, I don't think that everyone is a family history nerd or like the researcher of the family, but I think that's my role for my family. And so no, they were surprised to learn a lot of this and really excited and grateful because we all want to know where we come from. Mm. Yeah. And I was just lucky that I had a year of my life to give to this. Yeah. Yeah. Your family's lucky. I loved it when I looked up the name of Ole Ula on the internet and I found the story about uh, your relations as well, no doubt, about this house that was like this place of hosting in Tamaki and heaps of people would come from Samoa and Tonga particularly. But it's amazing to think that a lot of people also have stories of your family, but they're kind of diffused out there in the in other waterways now maybe. Yeah, yeah. and that was, yeah, there's a lot written about particularly that part of my family I'm lucky to have in all of these areas because they were, well, in Aotearoa and Samoa and Tonga, I descend from very early settler indigenous relationships. And so they're quite well documented, but it's always the story of the settler men that are documented. So I knew quite a lot about their lives, less so the women. Mm -hmm. And so it was their stories and a sense of them that I was really trying to find particularly when I went on these hiding uh, to be in or near their waters because I felt a real connection to them mm. through through that yeah mm. just think about research like I think it's it's so great like obviously finding out all this um, knowledge about your family and about the people that you connect to and then of course with that also comes like the difficulty of finding stuff that's you don't know how to like integrate smoothly into your life or how you want things to be and with that in mind like I wondered if you would mind to talk about some of the taonga that your granddad um, looked after and how you've come to that in your research process, where you're at with it. I don't think things have to be resolved. But yeah. 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 Long story. <laughs> this one's a long story. I started, well, okay, so my great-great-grandparents, whose house was Oliula, the man in that marriage, his name was Gustav, and he was a, a Jewish man born in Prussia, who moved to Apia in Samoa at a young age. And he was first accounting, doing accounting work for this trading firm. And then as he grew, he had his own business trading general goods around the Pacific. And while he was there, he was also collecting town in Mersina, um, so treasures and artifacts from the islands. And uh, over about four decades, he amassed a collection of around 300 artefacts. And so many of them were on the walls in Oliula and also his warehouse. We've got this amazing, I should mention, I'm not the only family researcher and I know a lot from research others have done, um, particularly compiling a book on that, that part of our history. Um, and he, I mean, he was a really stubborn man from the sounds of it. And he learned local languages. And so he was able to converse and create more relationships than a lot of the traders in the area were able to. Plus, he was married to a Samoan woman of noble birth. And so some of the collection 
um, were also through her her connections mm-hmm. to the chiefly line in, in Samoa and also the Tongan royalty because when they were adults uh, living in Uliula, the princess at the time, Salote, who later became the queen of Tonga, lived with them for a few years. Um, as you mentioned, they had, had many people coming uh, to stay over the time. Anyways, and then during the First World War, he was Jewish, but born in Prussia at the time it was German. So he was seen as German. And he, along with several other German businessmen, were interned on an island, Timotuihe or Timotuoi Hinga, which is in Tamaki, for a few years. And so they lived in a prisoner of war camp and his trading business uh, failed because he would send my great-grandfather to the islands in his place, but he was a much gentler man and would come home empty-handed all the time. (laughs) And (laughs) so he tried to sell the collection to the museum at the time because they had no money anymore um, and the museum said no. So that was about 1917. And then Gustav died in 1924, a couple years after he was released. And then Louisa, my great-great-grandmother, died in 1939. And so at the time of her death, she gifted the collection to Te Papa Tongarewa. At the time, it was the Dominion Museum. But between those years, Sam had returned a number, maybe 50-ish, of the taonga to the kingitanga at Narua Wahia because many of the taonga had been gifted to Gustav and so he, I think, was trying to honour the spirit of that gift and that was how he knew how to do it. So the collection went into the Dominion Museum's basement, 1939, and then the Second World War happened and the museum became headquarters for the some military thing. And all of the collections got put down into the basement, stacked in front of these crates. And it wasn't until the 70s that a group of volunteers discovered that the collection was even there. So they were hidden away for 30 odd years. And one of the taonga in the collection is a hoi parawa, which you can see drawn onto the column as you come in, because I wanted to acknowledge the hoi parawa as a kind of po in my research and something that guides my research because its story is not great. Um, Gustav didn't steal it, but we think, according to family stories, that he bought it from a man who had stolen it. And so I would really like, through my research, to be able to find more about where it came from and hopefully reconnect it with its home and its peoples and where it should be, because it's not in a museum, as with many of the artifacts in the museum. They shouldn't be there. And then on the way to the airport, my dad had a really nice observation that because the hoi parao is a, a paddle to move through water, and he noted that it was kind of, for me, also something that propels my research forward. So, yeah, mm. my dad's cute and smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, in summary, my dad's cute and smart. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that story. I know it's long, but I, I think it's, like, a very important one and connects, of course, with so many other stories that face us as individuals, but also for museums and institutions and um, everyone who's 
seeking to be kaitiaki in some way for other people's things. Yeah, so I really appreciate you sharing it. You are listening to Art Not Science, presented by the Physics Room Contemporary Art Space. I wondered if we could move on to the photographs um, and talk, yeah, a bit about, yeah, there's been lots of talk about the research. What are the uh, manifestations of your research? Like how have they come into being, I guess? So my primary practice is actually moving image and (laughs) I take photographs alongside my moving image practice. So it's really nice to be able to bring them to the fore. Thank you, Abby. I shoot on film because I find when I'm shooting digitally, I'll be in a really beautiful place, take hundreds of photos I'll never look at again and not be very present. Um, So with film, you have to be because you can't just snap, snap, snap. And I also love that film, the negatives are physically transformed by the light, which I like to think of as like carrying some of the modi of a place. And yeah, it's just something I really enjoy doing. <laughs> um, <That's good. laughs> and and the, as you enter the space, there's a photo of my friend swimming. Oh, I started a PhD in February and that photo marks the beginning of my research. We went on a writing retreat to my friend, her whanau whenua at Whaingaroa. And the first thing that we did was karakia and go for a swim. And so I said my own karakia while I was under the water to the whales, um, because there are many there, and wrote my first poem uh, for this, this project, I suppose. Yeah, so the whales have been guiding my research so far because moving forward from my masters I'm still really interested in migration across the Moana, these ancient roots, uh, knowledge that's passed down through generations particularly through women and this kind of cyclical return to birthing waters and the hoi parawa of course so thinking about whales and all of their forms and so I went to Kaikoura to go whale watching because I thought I'm going to make it easy for myself. And Nasi Kuri have a wonderful whale watching operation, and it was a really awesome, kind of funny in a strange way day. But yeah, some of the photos that you'll see, this one on the wall is Kaikoura the night before I went, and then. There's a photo of setting off on that journey and then afterwards I went for a drive to the old whaling station where Fife House is. How many of you around here know more about it than I do? But yeah, these are some of these photos. And then as you leave, the last photo that you'll see is a fluke print. So I learnt this on my whale watching tour where we saw three sperm whales, three parawa, uh, one of them twice, and then 200 dolphins at the end, just to <laughs> um, But they, the sperm whales will be feeding down in the canyon or the trench for about 45 minutes at a time, and then they'll surface to breathe for about 10 minutes, and then flick their tail up, as I'm sure everyone will be familiar with from the photos, and then plummet back down again and then a few seconds after they disappear beneath the surface a smooth circle of water will appear and I 
think that's really interesting and think of it as a kind of portal that connects us on top of the surface with the whales beneath the surface. Yeah, and then this is Tauranga Moana from a hikoi around Maimonga, Mowals, and um, so is this one with the peachy sky. That one looks towards uh, Tuhua, an island, and also includes a place where a Modi stone, where a waka coming through the, the harbour entrance um, was placed. So it's quite special um, to me. And then uh, Tonga and Samoa on the left. So the one in Samoa is the dawn looking towards my ancestral village of Lotofanga. And the one on the right is from the shore in Tonga on the mainland before I went to Vavau. Yeah, I wanted to bring my waters into this space as well. So you've talked quite a bit about research and I always hear this thing when there's like an artist, visual artist, and they're talking about research and I'm like, I get confused about, and I know this is a false distinction, but like what's the art and what's the research? Or what's the, is the words part like in support of the visual part? Is this research? And obviously there isn't a correct answer to that question, but do you have some kind of position on like, is this all research or is this a, is there some difference about the kind of work that you do in reading, conversation, all of these things from the visual like from the mm. visual format? That's a hard question. It's kind of interesting because you're like, I'm researching and it is good to not think of that as being towards a specific end, but would you call this research? Yeah, yeah. I would. I would call this research. I tend to spend a lot of time, like months or even a year, doing research in archives. So I'm reading books, talking to people, I'm traveling, I'm experiencing a place in a multi-sensory way, my photos are research, and then from then I tend to make what I think of as like a body of work, mm. yeah, and so being able to do this show has been amazing because it kind of marks the beginning of this leg in the research um, and also brought me to uh, my next point where I know what my PhD project is, so it, this is this is my research, mm. but I like that people can um, experience it and be a part of it and make relationships with it in various ways. Maybe towards the finishing off, do you want to talk about the title surfacing and about what does that mean for you? I don't even remember when it first came up. Do you want me to tell you what you told me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's not that juicy. I just, I think you were saying that when you're in this research process and it can, things can feel quite vague when you're sort of trying to feel your way towards the something substantial that you have to offer to the academy or take away for yourself or um, write down. And you see there's a point in which it felt like you were like able to come up for oxygen or something crystallized as a kind of a form. And then that was how you chose that title from what I recall but also the idea that there's this whole world underneath as well like I think that's been a really something I've been thinking about while we've been having these conversations for the last while is you know these whales are like 80 meters long and there's heaps of them and they're just honing around under the ocean that's a world you know like that's like all these buses going through up to Samoa it's really quite amazing and I suppose I think 
surfacing is interesting to think about because it acknowledges that there's an unknown or there's a lesser known, very known to the whales, very known to some people. But um, it's sort of, I mean, I want to thank you. It's like expanded my sense of what this universe is, what this world is that we're living in. So, um, yeah, I appreciate that title. It's interesting. Just to honestly finish, uh, you said you're going to go back to the whale or to the birthing waters. Did you feel like you got to go back to the whale, to Paikia? Not yet, mm. but I will because it's, I mean, this kind of research is like, is life's work. Mm-hmm. Um, and some things can't be rushed, particularly relationships. And also we're here for a while. Yeah, so I was I was really lucky that I could return to Samoa and Tonga right before COVID happened. Um, and I would be a different person now if I hadn't been able to do that. Um, so I feel very, very lucky, but I had planned to continue visiting my ancestral homelands, which is paused for a while. Mm. But yeah, in time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like to think of that. It's like the journey's not finished. And did they live also for hundreds of years? Like how? I don't know if it's hundreds. I think it's less than a hundred, but still a lot. Like not a rush. No rush. (laughs) (laughs) Emily, thank you so much. I know it's a lot to be talking as well after this big week of all this work, this big year of all this work and all this thinking. But yeah, I love that there's like a moment to pause in the middle of your longer arc of research. It's really great what you've been able to share with us though. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was Emily Parr talking about her exhibition, Surfacing, which is on now until Sunday, 5 September. When COVID levels allow, come and see the exhibition for yourself, 11am to 5pm, Tuesdays to Fridays, and 11am to 4pm on Saturdays and Sundays. Thank you for listening and tune in again next month on Friday, 17 September at 8pm for our next episode of Art, Not Science. Ka kite anoa. The Physics Room is generously supported by Creative New Zealand, the Christchurch City Council, the Rata Foundation, Three Boys Brewery, Scientech, Resine Paints, in the crater room.